Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to The Shift. Uh, today we got Michael Frank, who is uh, the current, uh, sorry, what's your, what's your title these days? VP of Growth. VP of Growth, current VP of Growth at Ritech. Uh, he's a former managing partner at Optimotive, uh, which is my marketing agency uh, that I had before uh, today with orchestration, and uh, also the former founder of Highland Pantry and uh, worked at Tokyo Smoke and a couple of other uh, esteemed institutions uh, over the years. And I would say just overall a marketing strategist and remote leader extraordinaire. Uh, anything else that I missed? No, I think you nailed it. Thank you for the very kind introduction. I'm happy to be here. Awesome. Well, I am excited to talk to you today because we worked together for several years at Optimotive and the whole team, of course, in the beginning was all remote. So you came in, we had everybody remote. And then after you joined, we hired some more people and we worked with some other clients and we did some other things and everything was always remote the entire time. So I'm, I'm uh, curious to hear your perspective on this. I mean, we talked about it from time to time, but we never sat down and actually said, okay, what was the remote management experience like uh, from, from all angles? So yeah, so I wanna talk about that today. And first things first, um, I actually don't know the answer to this question, but was that the first time you were working remote or were you working remote before that in other companies? You could say I was working remote before. Um, Prior to joining Optimotive, I had my own brand for about two years in the cannabis space here in California, and that was almost exclusively working from home when I wasn't on the road meeting with manufacturers, distributors, or salespeople across the state. And then prior to that, I actually worked in a number of satellite offices for larger HQs that were based either in San Francisco or Seattle or here in LA. So I had some experience with the you know connectivity that was needed to work with larger groups. Um, but when I joined Optimotive, it was the full, the, the first fully remote team that I was a part of and the first experience where I actually, you know, took advantage of the remote nature of the work and traveled myself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you went all around the U.S., if I recall, uh, from, from back in those times. You were like, you were in New Mexico for a while. You were uh, in California. You were just traveling through the Southwest and, and the West and everything. I tried. Yeah, I did at least a six month sojourn through the Southwest, renting Airbnbs in places like Sedona and Santa Fe, which was incredible. And then I'd often take weekend trips or flights. I was in Montana. I was in New York. I was in a number of other places. And it was a great lifestyle for quite a while. And I'm based in Los Angeles now, and this is home for me and has been for some time, but I still like getting on the road and being able to work and open up a laptop from wherever I am. Yeah, yeah, it's the flexibility. Like it's an option rather than being you know, locked in. Always. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, exactly, what, yeah. You know, what's, what's interesting looking back to like the fact that I don't even remember if you had been working remote before that is like, because for us at the time, it just wasn't even a thing to ask for remote experience for hiring people because this was like, the, I, when did you join it was 20 2020 right in in the summer summer of 2020 june of 2020 yeah yeah and that was the point where now all of a sudden like the whole concept of remote had like entered into the public sphere like the zeitgeist public consciousness but uh before that our hiring practices and like everything was it was kind of basically just predicated on the idea that we were remote but we didn't necessarily know that anybody would be so it was never like a hiring criteria it was like we want to find somebody that's the best fit for the job that's the best of what they do and is going to be the best fit for the team and we'll teach them how to be remote because we don't necessarily know if somebody's going to already be remote if they are great they already know how to do it if not you know they, they can learn basically and and we did that and we had done that previously with some other people too and so uh so i, I always viewed it from the perspective of uh, and i think now it's a little different you know you go out to hire somebody and especially for all remote teams they'll say have you worked remotely before and that's 
pre-qualifying criteria because then you don't need to train someone to do that. Um, but we always figured it was just part of the onboarding process. Uh, and if you have the right culture fit and the right skills fit, then you can figure that part out. And as is very evident that you absolutely can, because that was you, that was other, other people that joined the team over the years. Um, yeah, I, I think we got that part pretty right about our hiring practices. Oh, without a doubt. I mean, when I came in and just to see sort of the team and, um, how scattered you guys were. It was exciting for me to be able to connect with people who were across the globe, even though they might've been US citizens, such as yourself, they were still in some foreign places, which was quite cool. And I remember clients being very excited about the idea too. It was something new for mm. them, I think in a way in which they hadn't really had a lot of um, just you know, uh, time with people who were working online, but in a foreign place. And I remember that was kind of a, a selling point in some ways. It was really kind of this unique thing that they really, grabbed onto rather than the sort of traditional agency model. Yeah, yeah, true. And do, do you get this when you talk to talk to clients, like even today, um, I, whenever I get on with clients or, or like a sales call or anybody, I, the first question is always, where in the world are you for anybody that like knows that I travel? And I'm always like, oh, I'm in, I'm in Asia or, oh, I'm in this country in Europe or whatever. And then that becomes the small talk. I think it's a lot more fun than just like, how's the sports team? How's the weather? Like all this, whatever small talk bullshit. So you just jump on, you can talk about like cool stuff, and traveling. <laughs> And so so I, I do that. And then even when I'm not doing anything very exciting, I'm still in like a new place. Just the fact that clients know that I, I move around, uh, they'll still ask me about that. And then I can use that as a gateway to, to talk about other aspects of life and things like that. Just have a rapport be like more interesting than like that forced, weird client conversation that sometimes happens. Completely. And it shows a side of your personality that I think people are wanting to get to know, right? Like, oh, he is a world traveler. He has experienced all these things, or she has, for example. Um, it still comes up quite often. And because we're now owned by a company that's largely based in the Midwest, and I'm one of the few people that is still working entirely remotely on the West Coast, uh, people do get curious because I'm not in the office or I'm not in the same background. So it is a natural on-ramp to a good conversation and building the relationship before you even get into the sales cycle or the client deliverables or any of that good stuff. So it's good for rapport building. Um, it's good conversational fodder and it just kind of leads to a lot of interesting kind of anecdotes. Yeah. Yeah. And, and actually sort of uh, on that note, th this just reminded me of something. I wasn't even thinking about this, um, that I did this just yesterday, but I um, had a sales conversation with somebody and they, they're in Florida and there's the hurricane situation that's happening right now. I'm nowhere near Florida at the moment because I'm in, I'm in Indonesia, but I had heard about this from somebody else earlier that's also nearby um, that I had been doing some business with a few days before. And so, but because I knew about that, when I was reaching out to this guy and it was the context was more of a sales conversation, I was just like, hey, I hope you're safe. Hope everything's all right with the hurricane. But like, the nature of sales and the nature of just relationships changes over distances like that. Like you can do things like that if you're plugged in in the right ways, or if you get your information in the right ways, like you can include that personal touch and like introduce that level of care about like people and their circumstances and everything. Um, but you need to have the means to do so. Like if you, if you had no idea that there was a hurricane coming, then you would never be able to say like, Hey, I hope things are all right with the hurricane. But of course they're going to appreciate that because they're worried about their house and, and their families. So they'll be like, Oh, Wow. Okay. Yeah. Uh, thanks. Thanks for mentioning that. You know, it's a small thing, but like, thank you. Right. Entirely. Yeah. No, it's a, it's a conscious moment that people consider and, you know, I think seeps into their, you know, sense of who you are as a person. So thankfully you can just open an app and figure out the news worth regardless of where you are in the world, where everything is going on. And I think sadly we're having too many climate disasters now where that conversation becomes quite frankly, the first thing that 
is brought up, whether it's uh, yeah. a wildfire <laughs> or a sweltering heat wave or a tropical storm or a hurricane. Um, but that's another subject for another podcast. Yeah, yeah. And it's also interesting, like, we, I think we always got this in the old days of Optimotive with different clients in different industries. Like, when COVID hit, some clients just got crushed and other clients did well, just due to the nature of the world changing. And uh, even on, uh, like, literally the hurricane, this, in the last seven days, I was talking to that one person and, you know, just making sure they're okay, hurricane. And that, was, that other guy was talking to which is why i knew about the hurricane uh he has uh, he's a ceo of a company that is working in the roofing industry uh, this guy that i'm advising and um so, mm. I was, so, so i was like wait a second your business is probably going to go well right he's like yeah if a hurricane comes through there's a lot of people will need work on the roofs and i was like oh okay well that's the nature of the world it kind of balances in, in some ways like that <laughs> completely i mean we saw that with tin can fish right uh the european seafood brand that you launched and that i took over when i first joined and yeah yeah it was sadly, probably the best thing that could have happened to that because it was a shelf stable food product that people really honed in on. And then all of a sudden, you know, it becomes more popular via TikTok and sales start to skyrocket. So sometimes, you know, you kind of have to ride the wave that's uh, provided to you, even if it's a unfortunate, you know, mishap. Yeah. And that was, so this, this was 2020 days. And I remember right, right before you joined Optimotive, basically COVID had hit and in the immediate like right after COVID hit and things had kind of become like real and the immediate month following that moment back in April, 2020, I believe, I think March was when the U S like really mm -hmm. shut down. Uh, our revenues as an agency dropped by half clients called in and they said, we, we got to cut our budget. I'm sorry. We don't know what's going on. You know, all, all this stuff and our revenues cut by half and I'm looking at the numbers and I'm like, Oh, we're fucked. Like what? Like, Oh my God. And so I, and then a couple of things happened. One, me and Pranit, uh, we both went just like, hardcore demon mode on the business. And so we started working just like 16 hour days. We barely did anything else except for work and sleep. And I also remember reading Andreessen Horowitz wartime CEO post. And I was like, this is the energy we need in the business. We are going to war. We're going to make this happen. And so then for a period of like three months, we just went way hardcore into figuring out how to uh, a, bring our revenues back and then figure out what we're going to do after that. And uh, long story short, it worked. And part of the strategy that we implemented was shifting to uh, more doing more e-commerce and shifting to more industries that were doing well despite COVID or even because of COVID. And so that was actually why in 2020, we shifted over to doing a lot more e-commerce work because we'd done a decent amount of e-commerce work before that but it wasn't the biggest segment of our client base and i think what's mm -hmm. interesting besides just like the strategy shift is that operating remotely and working with different clients in different industries in different areas allowed us to be flexible like that so like the remote structure for the business and the client diversification helped us be resilient when when shit hit the fan and, and everything went down and then and, and then from there the rest is history we did very well after that and ultimately got to a point where it required and whatnot but yeah that that was what basically went down those uh, those months early 2020. interesting yeah i remember you guys talking about that but i didn't realize that was sort of a signal to you to diversify beyond what you were already doing and i think it speaks to from an agency standpoint why sometimes diversification is more important because when you do hit these economic roadblocks, you know, your business might not be affected as someone who's singularly focused on a specific sector. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And uh, to the whole point of remote, remote selling, remote organization setup allows you to do that. You have access to a lot more businesses besides the things that are just around you. Yeah, you guys were ahead of the curve, no doubt. I mean, when I joined and when the systems and processes that were in place, I was quite impressed. And I think it helped us scale pretty quickly after that once I joined. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, 
All right, talk to me about those systems and processes. What was, <laughs> and also your experience with, with coming into that and then starting to use those as a leader on the team. Like, what was that like? You come in, you're like, all right, new, new job, new company. I've got to figure this out and, and figure out what this means for me and the business and the strategies and everything. Like, what, what was that like and how did that play out? I mean, honestly, I remember for at least the first month or two or three, there was a bit of imposter syndrome because everything was so new from the tech stack to the way you guys were organizing meetings to using skills checklists to um, simple things like making sure everyone's inputting their harvest hours. Um, it was a whole world that I had some familiarity with, but not a lot of deep experience in. And essentially, you know, what we were doing is, is growth marketing, you know, with um, there was, you know, website development, website design, um, performance campaigns. But, you know, what we, I think, wanted to do was really integrate everything. So when I came in, I sort of saw all these pieces that were working really well. My goal was like, how can we kind of make them work even better, right? How can we put people into the positions and the skill sets that really speak to what they're interested in and that they're good at? Um, so I felt like I was kind of coming into a well, well run ship. I just wanted to make it run a little bit more efficiently and a little bit smoother. Yeah. Yeah. Th th that makes sense. And I, I think what, what you're getting at a lot is that, um, we ran the business uh, I mean, the whole time for, for even after that point too, we ran the business very systematically and we did that based off of structure. We did that based off of processes. We did that based off of, uh, the, like the traction, the OS system that we adopt into our business operating system. We built a skills checklist that was basically a way to progress and, um, uh, rise up the ranks and get promoted based on merit versus based on you know, whatever abstract qualifications or like seniority across the team, because we wanted to reward everybody for an merit based system. So if you are more of an expert, you get paid more, but therefore your work is more efficient so we can control our cost structure. So we built a whole system around that so that everybody on the team could see a path so that let's say they're making 20, 30, $40 an hour today. There's a path to increasing that hourly rate over time. So if they do all the right things within the proper structure, they would get to 50, 60, $70 an hour. And we spent a lot of time building that out um, so that uh, there was never a thought of like, I want to be promoted. I want to learn. I want to make more money. Uh, there was a clear path to do that within the structures that we had provided. And then the system basically just became like, you know, you can try to game the system, of course, as much as you want, but basically you just have to do the thing and then <laughs> that, that we wanted everybody to do and that would help everybody succeed and grow. And if they did that, they'd, they'd get what they wanted and then we'd have a better, stronger team. So it was like incentivizing that growth within the team. And, uh, and we, we had a ton of different systems like that just to, just to make it so that because we're remote, because we can't just walk in and see each other in person and be like, man, you've been killing it right now. Uh, let's, you know, let's sit down, let's grab a beer. Let's talk about the, the future of your position in this company and, and the, the, so on and so forth. Uh, we wanted to make it a lot more of a, a structure so that, uh, and it wasn't even about scale. It was just about coordination because we're not there together. Exactly. I mean, we're still using the L10 model that you built out uh, for our ah, good. meetings. Which good, I good, thought. good. <laughs> the green light, yellow light, red light, the budget, uh, the client goals, the happiness, and people respond to it. You know, people who had never had any experience with it were like, wow, this is a really great way to run a meeting. Um, and we've fine tuned it a little bit to adapt to, you know, the larger agency lifestyle and having more people um, on that call, which we tend to have, you know, anywhere from like eight to 10 to 12, depending on who's on vacation and who's not these days. Um, and the skills checklist, you know, when we're onboarding someone new or when I'm working with a new team member on the design and, you know, I got to kind of figure out quickly, like assess what their ability is beyond just looking at a website or a landing page and understanding that they can add some copy and some image boxes. Right. So 
those formulas are things that I think still have a lot of merit to this day. Um, and without a doubt, like helped really establish the agency's, um, not just culture, but really the way of working and the way of doing business. And I think we were able to find people then who could adapt to that model rather than the inside out. Yeah, yeah, I completely agree. And I, uh, I want to talk about the, the adaptation of those systems a little bit more within RightTag too, because this is the stuff that like, I saw this for six months, but then I haven't seen a continuation of that over the past nine months. So I'm very curious myself. But um, yeah, the, the whole idea is basically to, you know, uh, businesses, especially service businesses can get kind of amorphous in the sense of you're doing knowledge work, you're doing and, and you could apply this also to like the back office of any company that even if it's not a service based organization, like if you have a manufacturing company and you build something like a walk-in cooler for example you have a lot of people on support and sales and marketing and you know and leadership team and so on and so forth but the nature of their work every day is knowledge work it's coordinating it's working with information it's pushing around bits on a computer rather than atoms in a factory so like the nature of working together in a business like that is similar in a sense it's about service to clients it's about service to each other inside the business and i think part of the philosophy of running Optimotive was always that we wanted to have a designation of how to structure those bits in a way that allows creativity and free expression where we need people to come up with ideas and figure out how to solve problems. But also we want to structure this in a way a little bit more similar to like a factory floor where you have like people that come in and you're trying to produce consistent, good quality work. And so when you're making like widgets or like, I don't know, you're making fidget spinners because it's like mid 2000s or whenever fidget spinners were hot, um, you're making fidget spinners and you want to make sure that they're always consistent. They spin well, you know, so on and so forth. So you build your factory process to make sure that you can produce it enough volume. It's always consistent. So we did that too with the service that we're doing because that's just what it means to do like good service delivery. Uh, and that was always a philosophy kind of backing it. So we had those parallel processes kind of running at all times. Yeah, I mean, the you mentioned this, I think, on a previous podcast, which is the, the creative work differentiates from some of the physical work, right? And you need to be able to set yourself up for success and collaborate um, before just shipping something off to a client. And I think that was um, new to me in a way when you're working with so many people in different parts of the country and time zones who are working on different things. For example, you know, there's maybe a strategist, there's maybe a designer, there's maybe a performance expert. You know, you have people who are sort of overseeing service lines to a degree, um, but the collective is really where the quality comes from, right? When you're getting input across these different people. And then ultimately, I think the product is much better in that case. So that was really something that, you know, I had to get used to and figure out in a way. Um, and I think we largely succeeded in that realm, you know, when we were yeah. producing, whether it's an email campaign or a landing page or a performance ad, you know, there's um, a lot of components that go into it. So I was pretty happy with what we were able to do on a consistent basis. Yeah, yeah. Credit to you also for the, um, I think one of the things that you introduced that we had been doing a little bit, but you, you definitely brought, elevated the game on this was uh, uh, project briefs uh, and getting all the information in on projects before tackling them, especially something that's not reoccurring work where the structure's already there. That was pretty big uh, once we got a good project brief system. Thank you. I'm glad that resonated. It you know, context is everything in these scenarios, right? Because one person's having a conversation with a client, but three other people are working on the project, right? So unless that information gets translated in the correct way, then there's going to be things that are get often quite frankly, still to this day lost. So how can you really kind of corral everyone? And I think the project beef, 
you know, the kickoff meeting. These are things that, you know, I took from, you know, years of working in sort of corporate America and either former agencies that just quite frankly worked. So, you know, it's a continuous adaption and an evolution. And I think that's, that's the thing that I really learned working remotely and with you all is just because something works great now, it might not work great in three to six to nine months. So Mm -hmm. have a minute to reflect and ask your team, you know, what is working and what isn't? How can we continually update this process? So it is beneficial for everyone. And I think that's that's really critical is is the ability and willingness to continually learn and improve. And, um, you know, this kind of speaks to, I think, some of the character qualities from a hiring standpoint. But ultimately, like, that's really the through line in a lot of this is, you know, set the foundation, be open to change and continue to iterate. Yeah, yeah, uh, uh, of course, I love that, and and also your mindset and and uh, articulation on this was 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 so key because uh, uh, I think between you and me, it was great that you know you you could speak like that and communicate like that with certain members of the team, and I would I would come in and be like. I'm trying to fire myself every six months and, and everything we're doing is going to change <laughs> by the end of the quarter. And, <laughs> and some people that was amazing. And then other people were like, what the hell is going on? <laughs> what is this company? <laughs> yeah. You got to strike a balance. Right. And I think we, we by and large, I think, you know, figured out quickly who the right people to hire for that approach was going to be, but we definitely yeah. stumbled a few steps along the way. Um, but there is the need for the, the person sort of, you know, pushing forward and really energized and the visionary and the person sort of saying, okay, how can we practically adapt that into a model and then set ourselves up for success moving forward? So, um, I always felt that we worked really well together in that capacity. Yeah. Yeah. Completely agree. And, um, on that note, speaking of like management and whatnot and, and, and leading teams, uh, how has that evolved, uh, post acquisition and then after my departure and everything with right tech team? We've taken a lot of what I would say is in the DNA of Optimotive and really tried to approach it with Rytec and the larger company and the larger team. Mm. Um, you know, we really, I think, rallied around this idea of growth marketing, which is both a philosophy um, to marketing itself, but it's also growth around a business, right? It's understanding the ins and outs of what is moving the needle on the sales front. How can you then reverse engineer what's happening on the marketing front to understand the right audience channels and platforms and approach that's going to really drive success, whether that's leads for a B2B or whether that's sales for e-com. So what ended up happening was, you know, sort of that mentality, that integration, if you will, across the service lines is really kind of at the forefront of what we're trying to do right now. Um, we've, we've basically, you know, created kind of a department, what we're calling client success. Uh, client success managers are essentially overseeing our higher revenue clients and working with the service line providers to ensure that this integration is happening. So the email marketing isn't disconnected from SEO, right? You're going to start using some of the same language, some of the same keywords, some of the same messaging, um, and ensuring that your organic social is connected to your paid social. So I think that was really intrinsic in what we did at Optimotive. And it wasn't uh, happening to the degree which, which I thought it should at Rytec. So that's an example of how we've really tried to push the needle um, and bring to life a lot of the things that we've done. And we've now started offering a package essentially called OMO, Outsourced Marketing Officer, which is basically that, right? It's all your service lines bundled into one at a little bit of a better price point. You have a strategist, you have a dedicated client success manager, you have service line experts all overseeing this. So your marketing can 
be connected to your bottom line and your marketing can be focused on growth um, and testing and iterating and coming up with different formulas and figuring out what works. And then once you find something that works, it's really about pressing the gas on that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it makes sense. I, I, I always thought that that's kind of the, the challenge and the opportunity simultaneously in marketing uh, as a service provider, for sure, in an agency, um, but also just marketing in general. Like, I, I believe I saw something recently that the I think the CMO position has the lowest tenure and the most turnover in the C-suite, generally speaking. And it's that way for a reason, because it's all about growth. It's all about numbers. And like at a certain point, you can say like, OK, I do SEO. And so you're going to pay me to do SEO. And I just show up and I do SEO. And that's what you're paying me to do. But if that SEO doesn't drive results, then you are not going to be paid to do SEO for much longer uh, after a certain point. Like no one's paying you to do SEO just because they need it. They're paying for it for results. And that applies to pretty much, I think, everything in marketing. So like I always thought that the the, the highest value aspect of marketing and the easiest to sell, it's definitely growth. It's definitely results. And it's saying we're going to improve revenue. Um, but on the other hand, if you don't execute against that, and there's all kinds of reasons why that can, that, that doesn't work. Sometimes as an agency, like sometimes it can be on the agency side, sometimes the client side, sometimes there's just like delays or sometimes like COVID happens or just, you know, whatever. But for whatever reason, if, if that doesn't happen, then uh, it's very difficult to, to keep that client. But And if it does happen, it's very easy to keep that client. But that's, I think, the distinction between high value marketing work and low value marketing work. Because if you're just getting hired to like write emails or you're just getting hired to like make ads, you can find a lot of people today that are able to do that at a much lower price than an agency. So the value of those incremental services just becomes so much more if you can tie that into the business. So I always felt like that was very important just in terms of like what you bring to a business. Yeah, I mean, I think I saw that same statistic though around CMOs. Yeah, yeah, it was something yeah. like <laughs> on the lower end around four years, um, which is kind of sad to see, but also, you know, explainable uh, as you just pointed out. Yeah, I think, you know, what struck me is like the, the value of an agency versus the value of an independent contractor, right? And if you're partnering with the right agency at the right time, that agency should really be not entirely a business consultant, but at least a sales and marketing consultant, right? They've got yeah. to understand the ins and outs, the tools and tactics, the platforms that are going to move the needle for your business, right? It's up to you as a business owner. And we work with a lot of small and medium sized businesses to really paint the picture, right? Like give us a clear sort of trajectory of where you're at and where you want to go. And then we need to ask the questions about why things are happening, right? And all the marketing in the world, you know, can be great, but if you're at a product in a key skew, you know, then we're kind of at odds in some ways, right? If inventory levels are low, if supply chain problems are happening, then marketing has to continually adapt and adjust to the business at hand and the economic climate at hand. And, you know, we're even seeing that now with not quite a recession, but definitely a slowdown in consumer spending in some areas and budgets kind of tightening up, right? So it's a matter of always consistently understanding how can we continue to adapt and pivot and make sure that the marketing dollars are going to the right places? Yeah, that's a good point. And I think to tie things back to the whole remote conversation, it's very interesting that as an outside uh, you know, agency, consultant, service provider, so to speak, uh, these kinds of conversations, which I think maybe in a traditional sense, you might say, oh, these are the kinds of things that come up when you're in person together. It's like, no, you see these even if you're working remotely with this clients and you still have to have those conversations and you got to figure out how to fix the business. And I always thought that um, the best agencies are the ones that help the client business besides just the, the, the work they were doing themselves. Obviously difficult to do as like agencies get more complex and like scale and you know, things get a little bit more specialized. But 
I think regardless, like that's at the core of good client service, no matter who you are, no matter what your role is at an agency, no matter who, you know, who you're working with, that's always just good client service. It's like help the client, help their business, help them create a better business and make more money. No doubt. And, you know, to tie this back to remote specifically, and while I don't have data to back this up, I always felt like the remote aspect of what we were doing helped bring a greater perspective to the problems at hand mm. um, because you're not sort of stuck in this office mentality of working through the nine to five grind where inspiration might not always strike. You were constantly seeing um, examples of great marketing wherever you were, right? Or you were in immersed in nature and you were just like feeling inspired by what that was providing you and a, a sense of clarity um, would come about. I know that was with me for sure. Um, as I was driving sort of through these remote parts and, you know, camping out in amazing deserts, for example. Um, but I think there's, there's a, there's a mental shift that happens, um, when you are a ro remote worker where you're on top of things almost in a different way. Um, and I don't know if I've really thought about this until now, but I could say that was definitely the case for me as I was balancing work across a number of different clients, you have to kind of, you have to be on your A game, right? With mm -hmm. regards to an e-commerce business or a B2B business. And I think that sharpness um, lends itself to remote work in a way that just the traditional model uh, maybe hasn't or doesn't to the extent that it should. Yeah, completely agree. And I, I always uh, say this, but uh, in, in the agency business, your project management is your margin. And at a certain point, that's your systems, but also that's your people. And if you're an account manager or you're working with a lot of different people in all a bunch of different companies, exactly like you said, you just have to balance all those relationships and all those projects and all those things. And there's a way to do that. And I, I'm not sure if I could even articulate like it would, God, it would take days of just like trying to figure it out and like to like how to say even how to say that to even like be able to describe that to someone because i think anyone that's been in an agency or in an account management or like account executive role kind of knows the feeling but i i always feel like it took like at least six months for me when i first started doing this kind of thing like working with a bunch of different clients managing a bunch of different projects it took a long time to figure out how to do that but then after a while it just kind of clicked and then after that point it's I, I felt like i could do that with my eyes closed and it was just like yeah i can i can talk to you know a bunch of different people a bunch of different businesses totally different industries a bunch of different projects and yeah to your point where you layer that onto remotes uh you just have to be sharp there's no other way because if you can't do it then it's not going to work out for you in that position and and when but when you figure it out and it is a consistent thing that can be learned once you figure it out you're there and that's it and, and that's the thing to figure out that's it. it it comes back to the willingness to learn right because it is a challenge for people to get out of their comfort zone and to um you know figure out new modalities of working uh, when they haven't before and i think you and i had a bit of an advantage in the sense of um we worked in a number of places prior to this so we were able to build good habits right and we had mentors and team leaders who we saw that we could aspire to um you know for the younger generation i think it's more of a a push in some ways right where hey you're quite capable of this but you've got to take this on on your own and i think once you do hit that sweet spot and i think it's around six months because that was definitely mm -hmm. for me i think um the learning zone from going from you know brand side to agency side and fully remote at that it was around that six month mark when i was like okay I've got a grip on this now let's see what we're capable of um but once you do it's it's such a good feeling it's uh it's you know you're synchronized in so many different ways yeah i think it's 
uh, tell me if this, this, uh, is, is the same for you. It's like three months to get used to being remote and then six months to do that. Well, kind of. Yeah, I'd say that's accurate. Um, a hundred percent. And then you get, and then you know what you need when you travel in some ways, right? Like, mm -hmm. okay, I've got to have all my tech components. I've got to have the right clothing. I've got to both be comfortable, but not too comfortable where I'm taking so much with me to the point that it's actually holding me back. Yep. Um, and yeah, I'd say, I'd say that that time frame makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Yeah. I, I always thought when we, when we hired people, to the team, um, in, in the later years, uh, it was nice when there were other people around that had sort of gone through that. So like yourself and me, um, and like Pranit and we, we would bring people onto the team and I, I could, I could see them when we, when we jump on a call or one-on-one -on -one or something like one week, two weeks, three weeks into them joining and they're kind of drowning and they're kind of being like, but they don't want to say that they're struggling exactly because it's a new job and they're trying to figure it out. Uh, but I can just tell that, you know, you know, you're, you're really trying to figure it out. You're almost there. But with that extra perspective, I think it probably helped to have a few more senior people on the team be like, this is just temporary. You will figure this out. We've been through this. We figured this out. Everybody here that is now good at what they do that you can see is sharp has been through exactly what you've been mm -hmm. through and you just have to get to the other side and this too shall pass. And then the next thing will come. Entirely. It's all temporary. And the thing about project management that you just said really struck me because everyone does have to be their own project manager, right? And be able to prioritize their time and their tasks and their engagement accordingly. And once you get into that flow, um, then, you know, the sky's the limit. Then you're just kind of on autopilot in some ways where, you know, you can email and Slack and um, make sure you're, you know, still learning and growing in other respects or areas that you need to and doing research on a project and, you know, not letting things fall by the wayside. So it's a process, but, um, I feel like I've become a much stronger worker as a result of it, honestly. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> that's, that's awesome. And, um, I, I would even extend this for me to my personal life. Like I, I mean, uh, definitely, oh man, definitely in, in, in college university not Americans, uh, definitely wasn't doing this to the same degree, but like, uh, now today, like my calendar and my to-do list run my life, but it's a good thing because what it does is it frees up brain space and brain power to focus on things that are important because I know that other things are taken care of. So like if I need to do something, I immediately pull out my phone. I have my, uh, uh you can see on the home page of my phone. I don't know if you remember this, but I have my, my calendar is the, can I see this? I can't quite see it, but there, there we go. There we go. Yeah, yeah. I, there we my, go. My, yeah, my calendar yeah. is the, uh, the first thing that I see, because what I can do is I can tap one of the weeks and it immediately pulls up the day and then I can tap the day and I can create a new event. So I'm literally, if I, I, I open my phone once with my thumb, I tap into the thing and then I'm, I'm literally from a cold off phone. I'm like three taps away from putting something into my calendar uh, that I need to do later. And then I can do the exact same thing with my to-do list. So if something comes up and I'm like, uh, like today, the, the washing machine here broke. I was like, All right, we got to talk to maintenance. So I immediately <laughs> put this into my to-do list and then immediately forgot about it because I know that it's handled. And then later I can go talk to maintenance and figure it out. Um, but like that applies yeah. to all aspects of personal life and then business and uh, as well, because you want to do this in the day-to-day -day of everything that you're doing so that you don't lose stuff. You don't lose track of stuff. Otherwise, you're just going to forget about it. But it's like those sort of systems and habits for keeping track of time, like through a calendar and keeping track of uh, things like through a to-do list that allow you to be highly functional. 
No doubt. I mean, that was one piece of advice I gave a lot of our team, at least when they were first starting was block out your calendar, right? Like make sure you have time to do heads down work. Make sure you have time to do admin work. Make sure you have time to do just straight communication work, right? And I think the quicker you can get into that flow, the less overwhelmed you feel and the more structured your day becomes because routine is important. And I think people think of remote work and it's like, oh, I'm going to lose my routine. Well, you just kind of have to adapt and you have to find a new routine. And quite frankly, you should probably be doing that if you're working more traditional hours in a place anyway, right? Yeah. Is, yeah, yeah. You know, <laughs> not to get stagnant. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's so much of that, honestly, it's just like the day to day and carving out the space that one needs to really get the things that they want to get accomplished done. Yeah. And, and you, you always did a great job of, of, of that. And I, I think it's just your personal habits too. Cause like you do the same thing I did, which is like stuff they need to do goes in the calendar. So, but anytime I was trying to meet with you or like coordinate or do something, I'm always like, Oh, Michael's doing this on Fridays. And, and I would kind of know if something's critical or important or urgent or whatever. So I could look at your calendar and you're like, you got a thing that's just like going to go into the beach or going surfing. And I'm like, all right, well, I'm not going to interrupt his time, but like, I can ask him for something like right before that. But if it was like, I'm getting on a flight and i need to leave i'm like all right this can wait or like it's urgent and we talk now so i'll interrupt your thing so that i but that allowed us to coordinate better just because we had that level of communication and i'm sure you had the same thing for for me entirely and you know i think that speaks to what is happening now in a lot of ways which is the hybrid work right like and um what are the sort of uh what are the parameters for when something gets communicated and how meaning you know is it an email is it a slack is it a text is it a phone call and i think the sooner that organizations can kind of work those things out the sooner everyone's going to be on the same page and they understand hey if this is a red flag urgent matter if a website's down or a shopping cart button won't work or credit card processing is um you know being finicky for whatever reason like that's something that you got to get on right away and coordinate and a phone call is okay. You know, is it something that's a week or two out? That's more of a question that can be posed, you know, in Slack and then come back to it at some point. So I think those are the kind of critical things that organizations need to figure out is like, how do their, you know, how does their work help define how they're going to work remotely or in a hybrid format? And I think we intuitively understood that, but because, you know, there's different scales of different sizes of organizations that, um, require different, you know, complexities, the sooner those conversations are being had, the sooner everything's going to be, I think, more beneficial for everyone. Yeah, yeah, agreed. And I, I you can be strategic about this, too, because like, one of the things that we always did is, uh, we would communicate with clients on the platform that they like to communicate it in so that we had better client service. And that led to issues of its own where like we had a million clients in a million places and we're like, fuck, we got to talk to all of them. <laughs> like, oh, we're getting WhatsApps from, from this person and we're getting emails from this person and this person doesn't like meetings and that was a pain in the ass for different reasons. But the whole reason why we did that in the first place was good client service because that was one of the core principles of Optimotive was we're going to do good client service, we're going to help clients with their business, but there's also little things like we're going to communicate on the channels that they like to use so that means if they like to text we're going to text and uh if they need us we're going to be there and if there's something urgent we're going to be there and if they message us or they call us on a sunday or they want to meet on a sunday like a certain client that i uh that is near and dear to my heart that i very much love but um it's always wanted to meet on sundays i'd be like yeah of course let me to you you know and we'll find a time that works and what have you but um though we did that for the reason that it was good client service and so i think to your point like organizations need to figure this out and i think probably largely have done a lot since 2020 um, to, to get new systems in. But 
just creating a system uh, and like forcing a function of we have decided as a, as a team that Slack is where conversation happens or Teams is where conversation happens. Like that's not a good reason necessarily to to use that channel for that communication. And you can take that one step further and say there's a hierarchy of communication where like a phone call is urgent. But, you know, for small stuff, don't phone call. And you can build rules around this and you can say, you know, this is how we work and people will get used to that. And then that that's great. But you can even take that one step further and say, well, there's strategic reasons reasons why we're using this channel like we want all the communication for this project to live inside of like monday.com like right here for example because we have contractors that come in that work on this project and they only have access to this thing and all of a sudden you have a really good reason to put that communication there even if it's a little bit more complicated or even if it's different from what everybody kind of naturally is doing that works because it it fits with what you need strategically. And then also, if you're doing things like, um, well, there's like compliance factors too. Like you, you can't put stuff in WhatsApp because you know you have to have records of, you know, depending on the industry or whatever. But like strategic communication is, I think the final form of where this ultimately goes. It's not just like, how do we reduce uh, inefficiencies? I mean, you need to do that regardless, but it's that. And then how do you benefit from it too? And this is the stuff that like I'm working on today, which is like, why are you communicating like this? Where does it go? And do we have a good reason for that? And then we can say, okay, well, this is how we're organizing our Monday setup. And this is where communication of this certain type lives. And I can tell you exactly why that's the case and how the business is going to benefit from it because of that reason. And so that's kind of like the, the, the final form of that. And I'm sure you've got like some versions of that that you're talking about today as you're trying to like figure out with the OMO setup and everything. Like there's probably some complexities across teams with that, right? Like, Always, always. Yeah. I mean, Monday is our project management tool. A lot of things end up in there, whether it's design requests, web requests, um, or just general project updates, you know, like we try and really keep that as our central unifying platform, because if someone does need to come into a project and they don't have a lot of context, at least it's in there. Are we great at it in some ways? Yes. And are we still sort of struggling <laughs> in some ways? Yes. Um, you know, the thing that we've really had to hone in on these last few months that we're stressing is um, these ideas of, of playbooks, right? Like, you know, if we get an OMO client on board, for example, like what is the playbook for that from, you know, your kickoff conversation to your strategic development, to the questions you ask, to the follow-up communication, to the consistency of hitting on, you know, key deliverables, um, and we need to do that across each of our service lines, right? So when we, because the re remote nature is not collaborative in person per se, you know, you're having more zooms, you're having, uh, more looms really. Like I can't speak highly enough of loom as a tool and how much time yes, and energy that 100%. saves. Um, but for us, it's really like, how can we systematize like each service line now? So when we are onboarding, um, a new associate, for example, they're pretty clear from the outset about what's going to be a successful, um, you know, content strategy for SEO, for example. So that's where we're spending a lot of time and our energy is building out these playbooks and making sure everything's templatized, um, but allows for a little bit of customization based on the client, you know, but at the end of the day, it's marketing. It's uh, understanding your brand, understanding your product, understanding your audience, uh, and then finding the right channel and the right piece of content and the right budget to put towards that. Yeah, yeah. And and that's I think ultimately how to run a remote business efficiency is build structure for things that don't need to be invented fresh every time and then leave space for things that are creative. And so 100%. Yes. And when you have that, then you can minimize time wasted on the things that don't need to be wasted. And then you can maximize your efforts on the right things. It's just like allocating your time. Well, exactly. Rinse, wash, repeat, right? 
Yeah, yeah. Um, so I want to switch gears a little bit and talk about uh, talk about culture and the culture of like, Optimotive back in the day, and then also Optimotive under Rytech and Rytech now, and how that sort of evolved. And I think what I'm particularly interested in um, uh, now is also. You know, Rytech is a hybrid team and you're remote and Optimotive came from a remote, uh, a full remote culture, you know, and now those two things have been brought together and teams have been combined and now it's a little bit more amorphous. Like, how have you seen that change over the years? And like, what are you doing now today to, to continue to, to hold a strong culture and, and, and build that into something even greater in the future with a mixed, complicated, messy, hybrid, remote, uh, in-person kind of team? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, to give listeners uh, a bird's eye view, we are largely based in the Midwest. We have a suburban office in Chicago, a downtown office in Chicago. We have an uh, office in Milwaukee, and then we have probably about five to six people who work fully remote, a couple here in California, one in Oklahoma, a couple in Detroit, Michigan, I believe. Um, and then greater Wisconsin. So we certainly are uh, a hybrid organization through and through. And the culture conversation is something that's top of mind for us all the time, especially as leaders and managers, because without creating that great culture that people want to show up at, whether it's show up online or show up in office, um, it's hard to retain employees and it's hard to produce quality work. So a few of the things that we've really um, focused on and done, uh, obviously we have a yearly retreat, which is something that was happening prior to our organization um, joining theirs. But it's also something that we did as fully remote. And I think that's critical is that time in person mm -hmm. that you can get um, at least once a year, if not twice a year, based on your budgets. Um, we also are really focusing on at least monthly excursions, whether that's a happy hour or a volunteer experience or, um, you know, I think the teams in the Midwest went to a baseball game earlier this summer, right? So trying to break bread outside of the office environment is so critical to the development of people's relationships and people's trust, quite frankly. Um, outside of the in-person stuff, we really try to highlight success stories happening within the agency um, on a weekly, if not monthly basis. We have uh, something called the win of the week in which our chief digital officer, Sam, will take a case study of something that happened that week and really uh, promote it to the larger group in terms of what went well and why. Um, we have bonusly points via Slack where we're constantly giving people five, 10, 20 points for great work. So those are the types of things that we really tried to do to keep morale high. Um, you know, we're in client services, so often, you know, clients do churn. I think there's no mm -hmm. secret and shame in hiding that. So what happens after that? Okay, well, let's have, um, you know, um, I'm blanking on what the terminology is. Um, you would know this. Oh, right? like a retrospective I, or something like that. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, yeah retrospective. Yeah. Sorry, it's still kind of early in my time. Um, we have a retrospective, right? And it's not about assigning um, you know, blame to anyone. It's just about understanding what's happening so we can yeah. all grow from it. So those are the things that we try and do consistently and on a regular basis to make sure that the culture um, is at the highest it could be. Got you. Yeah. And um, my two cents on the... Uh, on the offsite, we uh, so optimative wise for anybody that doesn't know, we did for the last two years before we were acquired, we did uh, a global team retreat, one in Mexico and one in Colombia. And one thing I learned a couple of things from the first one that we did, and then also from the second one. But uh, 
lessons learned. Um, one, uh, it's awesome. Definitely do it. It's so worth it. And when you get everybody together and they dedicate the time and space to actually being in person and you're not in person, everybody makes it a big deal because it is. And that's super valuable for bonding and also for strategy and just conversations and everything. Um, so yes, completely worth it. And then number two, uh, you get to find out how tall everybody is, which is always fun. And you get to find out like all these little quirks <laughs> about everybody, like things like uh, tattoos people have or things like what somebody actually kind of, you know, the things that people don't put on camera or they don't put in Slack, like they're are those things but it's kind of like a fun game when you find those out because they're not like really required for the work you do day in day out but it's very interesting it creates this level of like intrigue and and nuanced connection i think between everybody and then the last thing that i definitely learned was that uh, two weeks is way too long to do a company retreat we're all living in the same house <laughs> maybe do a little bit less than that yeah <laughs> Five days, seven days, lots of planned excursions, lots of educational opportunities, um, you know, make it work centric, but also make it fun for everyone. Um, and I think, you know, something else that we did really well that I think is, is relevant for, you know, anyone moving into this direction if they haven't already is you've got to create the space to connect as people beyond the work itself, right? Like not every Zoom, Loom conversation, Google Meet, et cetera, has to be about, you know, the latest thing that we need to do on behalf of this client. There has to be a space and time. And I know um, we it, we called it tea time. Was that? Yeah, tea time. Right? The the non-work right? Friday meeting. I think when we first started. Well, it was yeah. it was Alice actually. If you recall, uh, she was she was the one that called it tea time, and I, I was in England. Um, she was in France, and I, we were going to call uh, it something else for I don't remember why. And then she just said. Let's call it tea time. It's 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 I don't it just kind of stuck. So so we did it. She might have even yeah. named the meeting and then we right. just adapted it. Yeah. These these are the little and things that like propagate we, through your culture. <laughs> completely. And there was no conversation around work. It was always weekend plans, travel, uh, birthdays, anniversaries, you know, just kind of fun things or just human things that people were going through at the time or cultural things that people wanted to talk about. Um, and we have that to this day, honestly. We still do mm -hmm. that on Friday mornings. We call it coffee talk now because we're largely yeah. <laughs> fully in the United States. Now it's all American style. Um, yeah. <laughs> exactly. But the intent, the intent is the same. So those moments, you know, you can't speak um, more importantly around those just to, to continue to foster collaboration and trust across a team that is fully remote and working hard, quite honestly, on a lot of different things. So yeah. it's important. Yeah, completely agree. And these are the things that I think culture-wise, especially as a leader in organization, are difficult to build and understand and ascertain the value of because sometimes we get on a tea time and people just wouldn't really have much to say or the conversation would be kind of forced sometimes and we might end early because there wasn't much like free-flowing conversation. And then other times we'd go like way over our time because someone said something really interesting and we'd just talk for an hour about something random that was really cool. And like, I think it's one of those things where if, if we had had like a month where tea time had been kind of slow and there wasn't much going on and then somebody and we got a lot of work and somebody says, oh, let's drop tea time because we're so busy. We could use it to work on other stuff. And then that's like, and then everyone says, oh, what do you, how do you feel about this? And everyone says, yeah, well, it hasn't really been that great lately. And that's a decision that is like floated up from, from the team sometimes. And it sort of makes sense as a leader to then say, oh, nobody finds this valuable um, and we do have a lot of work. So therefore we'll drop this. And it's a okay decision, but so much value came out of that, that even if people were saying, ah, I don't know, it's been not that been great, 
that been that great lately. The reason why we had it and the good things that came out of it far outweighed the detriment to using that time for other things. So uh, the the better, I think, leadership solution in that scenario, which is how I always thought of it, was like make the tea times more interesting and find ways to get everybody excited or talking mm-hmm. or connecting on that call. And instead of just saying like, it's not working, let's stop doing it. It's like, we kind of know this thing is important. Let's do this in a different way, in a better way. And that changes over time because people change, team changes, like all that stuff changes. Yeah. Didn't we play poker and have a geography game? And oh, yeah. <laughs> there was something else I wanted that was quite good. Um, but yeah, you just have to be innovative with it too, right? Because things will become stagnant after a while, but that doesn't mean it just needs to be canceled. It just needs to be improved. Yeah. Yeah. And these are the things that just like whipsaw back and forth. And I think in an organization's culture where everyone says, oh, we need more of this. And then you f- try to figure out how to do it. But, and sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. And everyone says, ah, oh, it didn't work. Let's do something else. And then people say, oh, we need more of this. And you kind of get pulled around by just like the desires of the team to do something, but there's no initiative and there's no real, um, complete structure to a good, system or good format or good space or good solution. And especially when you're remote, that's difficult to work with as a leader. And when you're in person, someone's just like, let's go grab some drinks. And everyone's like, yeah, let's do it. And it's just sort of like flows because you can kind of feel the vibe of everybody and what's going on. A few people don't go, people go, but remote, you have to be very intentional about that and make good decisions about how you're making those choices within a team. I think even if everybody says they want something, it might not be best for the whole team. And even if someone says they don't want mm-hmm. something, it might still be best for them to keep that thing. And that's a difficult challenge of remote leadership, I think. And that's where the leadership comes in, right? Like you've got to be tuned in to the inner workings of your organization and your team and understand, you know, when to, um, stay the course, when to accelerate and when maybe to back off a little bit too. And, you know, those are, I think, um, intuitive lessons that I've learned definitely over the course of time, undoubtedly. Yeah. Uh, sometimes you can be the benevolent dictator and then, uh, <laughs> and, uh, as long as you're actually, you know, a good manager, a good leader, it ends up being okay. Um, yeah. we, sorry, we, we are just now at the hour I'm realizing, do you have, do you have to jump or do you have any extra time? Like a bit, Let's hang on. Yeah, man. This is a great conversation. Okay, cool. Then uh, uh, I had a couple of other things uh, then to jump into. And uh, we can end this conversation for this episode and maybe we'll pick it up again for something else another time. But um, yeah, I did want to ask you also about uh, more of the revenue and the growth side of business itself and not just for clients, but also for mm-hmm. the agency. And like one of the things that you're good at is sales. And uh, I think you and I probably were the center of sales at Optimotive for, for quite a while. And uh, although... Uh, no small credit to, to Ben, who did uh, bring in a few deals uh, at, at different times. Uh, but but you and I were more focused on the day-to-day basis. So obviously, when you're selling remotely and you're working deals remotely, that's a different skill set, I think, than when you're working deals in person. And when you're remote, sometimes th- you, know, you can justify a flight to go meet somebody to close a deal, or you can justify something else. And yeah, when you're in person, you can close deals. That's great. Um, and, and you're good at that also. Uh, but the remote component, I think, is very interesting because a lot of like software companies, they're, you know, all their sales have always been remote, but the nature of what they're selling is a little bit different. So for services in particular, like selling that remotely, you know, getting, uh, building trust and, and building a connection with somebody and then committing to the work, closing the deal. Like, what are your thoughts on that? Oh, man. That is a very open-ended question. Um, truthfully, there's something I miss about a bit of an in-person sales lunch or a sales happy hour. You know, um, just because I think it 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 
um, it breaks down the barriers in a way um, that is, you know, people, people enjoy. So you have to kind of find the essence of that, but translate it into the digital format. So we talked a lot earlier in this conversation about, um, you know, cultivating the relationship, like understanding the person, where they live, um, what motivates them, um, what's their family life like, you know, are they facing any sort of hardships or struggles outside of the business or even within the business? Um, it always starts from there, right? It starts from cultivating the relationship. And that quite frankly, can, I think, take a little bit more time in a remote mm. setting. Um, yeah. because usually it's an exchange of emails. Um, usually there's some conversation around what the challenges are. Then there's the first presentation, you know, say an outline or a deck in terms of how we would solve this problem. Then there's feedback in terms of, okay, you know, maybe I don't have this quite set up the right way, or maybe I want to focus my attention on this. Um, and then the conversation at some point always eventually leads to budget, right? And then you're going to need to adapt your proposal, um, adapt your scope to the budget itself and ensuring that, you know, you can hit the right notes and succeed on the promises that you're, you know, attempting to, you know, commit to, um, and ensuring that the budget's going to get there at the same time, right? It's this sort of like, it's it's this uh, fungible sort of just like, you know, uh, interaction that has to take place over the number of a couple months. Um, I've gotten quite comfortable and quite used to it now. And I can anticipate a lot of the questions that people are going to ask. So I'm well ahead, uh, well prepared ahead of time. And I think that's, um, you know, the critical thing is just you've got to be patient, um, you've got to understand people are dealing with their own challenges, uh, either within the organization or personally, and to provide continued client service and value, right? Like, how can I continue to add value at each step in the sales cycle? Um, and I think as long as you can kind of use that as the mantra, then you're going to close a lot more deals than, than you would otherwise. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, all makes sense. And what about, uh, like handling objections or like a lack of response or like when the sales process goes wrong, basically. Um, when the sales process goes wrong, I would say, you know, give it, take a step back, understand maybe why it's going wrong, right? Mm -hmm. Like, is that person fielding a, a, a number of offers from other agencies or from other, you know, vendors, for example, right? So maybe they're just kind of in the waiting game and they're wanting to do a comparative analysis of where you sit. Um, maybe they are really stoked to work with you but some challenges within the business have come up or, you know, for example, something I'm working through right now with a client that I did a one-time project for and saw a lot of success and they wanted to continue on. Um, there's a lot of family dynamics involved. It's a family owned uh, business. Yeah. Uh, the parents are a little bit older. The kids are starting to take over. Um, you know, one sibling is really good at this one thing. Another sibling is really good at this thing. And there's, there's dynamics involved that like we don't see. Um, and this person has been, you know, fairly transparent. It's definitely taken a lot longer than I thought it would to close the, the sort of next phase of growth, if you will. Um, but you've got to just understand, okay, there's, uh, there's things happening and that are outside of my control. Um, can I continue to provide value for them in a different way? You know, maybe it's just a check-in, um, you know, for 10, 15 minutes, if it's been a couple weeks and just say, Hey, just curious, um, what is happening on your end? Do you have time to catch up? And, you know, maybe that's an opportunity just to kind of build the, the relationship a little bit more. Um, or sometimes there's, um, you know, a more concerted follow-up and you have to really go after someone and you have to really kind of prove that you are the right partner for them. Um, 
And that takes time. I think, you know, people who have a lot of experience in sales are pretty well familiar with this. Um, so I think every case is unique and you have to kind of treat it as such and don't expect a turnaround. Although people may want to say, yeah, I'm ready to get started next week. How yeah. many times have we heard that? And then obviously, you know, a month you're still into the conversation, right? So it's, it's continually adapting, but staying strong and, and, you know, focusing on, um, what you can control. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I think it's great advice. And I, the deal speed is very interesting because I do tend to find that a lot of sales conversations will fall into a couple buckets. Either things move just like really fast when somebody has a need, they want to move and they're ready to sign and go forward, or they move really slow, but you can still get something across. It's just a matter of like something needs to line up or something's not right, or the budget's not there. This person is on vacation or whatever. And then the worst zone is when someone just says, send me a proposal and then it just dies. And like, in my experience, most deals will fall into at least like high level uh, services will fall into one of those categories. And so you want to try to get in the first one if you can but second one's all right third one is, is that that's that deal land <laughs> yeah the other thing i think to be mindful of is you know depending on the size and the amount of stakeholders in the organization usually you'll start a conversation with one person but usually that's got to get that person has to get buy-in from three to four to five to mm, ten yep. other people right so don't just expect you know that first proposal to be signed off on or that first kickoff call to be the only one you have. And we're in this uh, separate client, right? We're in this now five-week sales cycle process, which is quite good, but we're now um, not just talking to their head of sales, we're talking to the CEO, we're talking to a consultant, yeah. we're talking to their design team, we're talking to all the key players. And you know we've got to continue to sell ourselves in terms of why we're the right partner for them. And I'm confident, um, we'll get through it, but it's definitely, you know, it's the herding cats scenario, both externally and internally. Who do we need internally to bring into someone, uh, to some conversation or some meeting that's really going to drive home the point or really be the proof of concept that we need. Um, so at some point in time, you know, just continue to, to recognize sort of the situation at large and bring in the right people on your team to get the expertise that might be needed, um, in order to close the deal faster. Yeah. Yeah. Good points. And I, I find that on, uh, sort of on your side. So when, when you're the ones trying to close close a deal and sell a service, close a client, sell a product, whatever. Uh, one of the things that helps really well in a specifically in remote context to exactly that point is it's it's quick responses. It's always being available. It's if they say, hey, can we jump on a call to talk about this? You're there. You say yes. And uh, if they send you an email, email them back quickly. And if they're asking for something, hey, can I see this timeline? Can I see this plan? Can you give me some more? You give me the cut sheet. Give me the, um, you know, the executive summary, the case study, whatever. You send it to them and you send it to them quickly. And then if you're going to coordinate with other people on your team, or on their team, you do that quickly and efficiently and in a well-organized manner. Because if you can do that, uh, well, first of all, if you can't do that on your side, you got some issues in terms of your, <laughs> just your, how you're doing business. Uh, but if, if you can do that remotely, that puts you in way ahead of so many other people. And if you can just articulate your points well, you know exactly what you're talking about. It's just like all the it's, it's all the one-on-one stuff, but just do that like very, very well. And when you're remote, that's the difference between when someone puts out an RFP and they talk to five different people and four people get back and they say, yeah, we can do this. And they say, okay, can I see a case study? And it takes two days for them to send the case study, but it takes you uh, uh, two minutes. And that's the difference between maybe they're not even going to say that to anybody, but they, but everyone kind of sees it on the email thread and they say, wow, wow, these guys send this back pretty quick. And then you send it, Hey, uh, I saw this in the case study. What about this? And then like, 
30 minutes later, uh, you know, the, the, whoever's the lead on this, like, let's say you, you know, someone else on, on, on your team is, is doing this and you're CC'd and you jump in and say, actually, I know about this. I worked on this, blah, blah, blah. And they say, wow, we got, we got Michael jumping in and he was pretty quick on that. And they're going to think, these guys have their shit together. Maybe we should work with them. And then even if the other person comes in with like very impressive case study and blah, 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 it took them four days. And so it's just going to be not as impressive in terms of, because that's going to set the pace for the working relationship. And they know that. So it helps win business. Entirely. And I think I heard you talk about this on a previous podcast around the asynchronous style of remote work, which is, oh, yeah. uh, you know, people being able to look, collaborate across time zones and projects, right? So thank God for Google and, you know, share docs and spreadsheets, honestly, and, you know, presentation formats, because, you know, I can put something together and then I can, you know, tag my team member to take care of it and, you know, have a couple extra hours to, you know, focus on something else and then come back to it the next day and then iterate on what they've been able to do and continually improve it. So you're shortening the window um, of, of needed time to really put something together that's, I think, quite effective. Yes, yes, yes. And that's like, I could envision, you know, they say, hey, we, we want this proposal and, 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 and it's a good conversation about a proposal. Say, okay, you, you pull up your proposal template document or whatever you go in you say oh i need to know the details from these four people tag them tag them tag them tag them could you elaborate and drop it in and then like five hours later everyone has concurrently put in all of their stuff and then you say okay yeah, yeah bup, 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 done but you're not waiting till the next day for a meeting and then a back and forth and then this and oh this person was busy and that and they can they can see that if you have the right level of efficiency and um uh focus and just uh, incentive to actually get work done quickly within the organization, then like everybody, even if it's like 9 p.m. at night, someone says, oh, this is important. This is a deal. I got to help out Michael. Boom. They drop it in. Boom. And then all of a sudden mm -hmm. you're able to accelerate that timeline. Yeah. Um, I think the 9 p.m. is an interesting anecdote. You know, <laughs> oh, that's, that's me being aggressive about that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that's, you know, that's one of the benefits that you know, depending on the style of work and what you're working on, obviously everything's a little bit, you know, differentiated, but it allows people to, to some degree, work the hours that I think are comfortable for them. Right. And there's no shortage of times when you have done that or when I've done that. Right. And yeah. you mentioned, you know, maybe I'll pop off in an afternoon and go surf for an hour. Yeah. Cause I, you know, I've been on zooms for four hours and I need an hour break, but I can come back and I've taken all of care of the high priority stuff. And now I can come back with fresh eyes and put together like a really interesting pitch deck or a really great proposal because my mind is in such a better place than, you know, just sitting around a, you know, downtown office somewhere. So there's advantage. There's so many, there's numerous advantages to it. And I think, um, as long as you have sort of the, the mindset of, of, you know, wanting and able to do that, then it lends itself to high quality work too. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I really want to stress the point on this, on this note too, of, um, because I, I tend to be uh, uh, in sort of the hardcore startup mindset at all times of like, all right, well, we're going to work 12 hours, 16 hours a day. Let's, let's fucking crush this and make this happen. Um, and for some people, that's going to turn them off. And they say, I want a good work-life balance. And I famously will tell people like, I don't believe in work-life balance. And, and I say that because people go, what? What are you talking about? And then, of course, what I really think is that, that should, that's a spectrum, that, that you can go all in on work and all in on life. And if you always keep them balanced, you're going to be mediocre at both. And that this is the culture that I set. So if like, and this is what we had at Optimator for a while. So like, I would always say, work-life balance is not a thing, but we're going to move this around. And sometimes, uh, light, uh, work will come in waves. So sometimes it'll be very intense, and sometimes it'll be very light. Enjoy the times that are light. 
go surfing, go hang out at the park, do whatever you want. Um, but when it's when it's heavy, we need everybody to execute. We need everybody on deck, and we're going to work really hard, and we're all going to move as a team. And that was the expectation, the pace that I set. I do this, of course, myself. And then you know that was our culture. Like that was. Uh, and then when new people came into the team, they had to figure that out. And especially if they came in at a very heavy, intense time, they would. I, I know these conversations happen. They would go to other people and be like, "What? This is so intense. Like, is this like this all the time?" <laughs> and then somebody else has been there for a while would be like, "No, no, this 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 will pass. Just give it a bit of time. There's there seem to be downtime too." And say, "What?" And then three months later, they Absolute go, clothes. "Oh, this is what this is what you meant." Um, but but exactly to that point, these things can change. Like, we, you do set a general uh, pace and a general expectation for your culture overall in your company of like how hard we're going to work, what our work life balance is, how we're going to do remote, how flexible are we on times, and and so on and so forth. Like those are your policies, and you set those policies at the company level, and those are going to be like the the bumpers at the bowling alley for like everything that's permissible because some stuff you just say is like not permissible at all but even within that mm-hmm. things change things change with clients with the work you're doing with the world so like even if you say well we need everybody working these eight hours every day and one time two quarters later that could change as long as it fits within the policies of the company and and i think what's interesting is when you give um uh, managers and when you give people the ability to be flexible up to the level, I would say that they should have uh, responsibility for. So sometimes, you know, you need to learn how to be remote before you can fully be trusted to set your own schedule. But if you know how to do that, then it's, I would have no problem going to someone and saying, yeah, you know, we only need you for these two hours to coordinate with people, you know, figure out how to get your work done. It doesn't matter. Just let us know. Um, and then so at the same time, like yeah. if you if you have a whole team and you, and you look at the manager of that team, you can say, okay, well, you know your team best. Uh, we as a company uh, are uh, it's okay to coordinate on Sundays, but we don't coordinate on Saturdays and Fridays are like no meetings or whatever. Those are the parameters. But within that, you can do whatever you want for your team. You know, if you're sales, figure it out for your, for your clients. If you're, um, if you're marketing, figure it out for whatever you need to do. Like there's a lot of freedom and flexibility to create culture like that. And that's what everybody ultimately mm-hmm. will feel in their lifestyle. Yeah. Um, well said, I think, you know, um, it's, it's dependent upon the culture of the organization and, and how you want to present yourselves both internally and externally. And I think there's fun in creating that, right. And there's fun in getting people to create it with you. Um, it doesn't have to be a top down approach. It can be very much a, um, you know, uh, uh, maybe not a consensus, but a conversation, right? In terms of how do you want to work? How does this team want to work? What's going to be the most efficient in order to ensure, you know, we are closing deals on time or that development team has, you know, the, the right tools at their disposal in order to work at the hours they want. You know, there's, there's situational, I think, differences that can be explored and um, extracted and ultimately put into place to the benefit of individuals and the organization at large. Yeah, 100%. Um, Okay, I want to hit you with one more question, and then uh, then I'll let you go. Uh, we're going over the time we had allotted. So, um, last question for you is: If you have any advice for a CEO or an executive or a managing partner, for example, that's going remote for the first time or stepping into a position kind of like you were back in 2020, what would you tell them? I mean, the the systems and processes are number one, right? You can't you can't do this without having a concerted effort in terms of how everyone's going to connect and collaborate. Um, first and foremost, I think that's, that's has to be put into place. Secondly is um, it's really around hiring. And I think the team will ultimately be, 
I mean, this is obvious across any organization, but the team is heavily dependent upon the success, right? And especially in a remote nature, you have to hire high character people. You have to hire um, quality communicators. Um, and you have to hire people who want to learn and want to grow. And I think if you kind of centralize your hiring practices and processes around that, then you're going to get people who ultimately are going to be with you for the long run. Um, hiring for skill set is great. And I think that's a component. But ultimately, hopefully there's someone on your team that can teach that, pe- that person. Um, hopefully there's a playbook in place where that person can adapt. Um, but I think that's going to be central to that. And lastly, I think um, make, make time for, for the, re- the relationship building uh, outside of just the work stuff. I think that ultimately lends itself to people being happier, people being inspired, people being motivated. Um, and if you focus on those factors, I think you're going to have a successful remote or hybrid organization. Awesome. I love it. It's all great advice. Uh, any pluggables you want to plug? Shout outs, anything like that? Um, sure. Yeah. You can find us at rytechllc.com. Uh, you can reach me on social, uh, probably Instagram or LinkedIn, Michael Frank. Um, yeah, I think that's it for now. Awesome. Well, if anyone listening to this is trying to get some marketing work done and wants the OMO setup full suite, full stack marketing team to support them. I can definitely say Michael's very good at what he does and uh, the right tech team and, uh, the former optimative team. It's well capable and equipped uh, to help you out. So I think that does it. Well, thank you. And on a personal note, uh, super excited to see this new trajectory for you. I definitely miss working with you. I learned a lot, um, but I think this is great. And I'm very uh, just stoked to see where you can take it. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah, this is day one, as uh, Bezos would say. It's forever day one. But uh, yeah, the vision for orchestration is quite uh large as you would probably guess uh by by an endeavor that i'm throwing myself into uh but yeah there's there's much 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 more stuff to come uh but this podcast is a big piece of it so i'm very glad that you're able to jump on and uh, we could record this today likewise thanks for having me awesome ciao boom